This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. As of 2015, Nashville had just about 11,000 Jewish residents. That's something like 2% of our population. While that's relatively small, the community here is vibrant. There are multiple temples spanning the religious spectrum. We also have a Jewish community center, a local J Street chapter, even an annual Jewish film festival. So what is the state of Judaism in Nashville today? Later this hour, we'll explore how Jews find connection and community in an overwhelmingly Christian city. But first, the 2022 midterm elections are over and the results are in. Going into yesterday, there were a number of questions. Will Governor Bill Lee earn a second term without debating his opponent a single time? How would splitting Nashville into three congressional districts play out for Republicans who redrew the district lines in their favor? And would the state constitution see as many as four updates? Here to help us break down the tallies, I'm joined by WPLN political reporter Blaze Ganey and WPLN editor Julia Ritchie, who were both here late into the night to bring you coverage as the results rolled in. Welcome to you both. Thanks hey, for having us. Okay, now one of the most closely watched races for, was for Tennessee's 5th Congressional District. That seat had been held by Democrat Jim Cooper for two decades, and the district was a Democratic stronghold dating all the way back to Reconstruction. Last night, Republican Andy Ogles won. Blaze, can you start by reminding us why this seat that had been securely Democratic for so long was up for grabs in the first place? Yeah, so earlier in the year in January, new maps were passed uh, throughout a process of the redistricting process, um, which uses the census to make sure each district has, you know, an even population. There are many different ways it could have been done, but the supermajority Republican General Assembly agreed the best way was to split Davidson County up into three um, something that had never been done before, and uh, that made each district just that much harder for Democrats to win. And not really to any surprise, it worked. And now we have Congressman Mark Green, John Rose, and soon-to-be Congressman Andy Ogles representing Davidson. Now, Andy Ogles cut his teeth as an anti-government activist at the state capitol, and then he went on to become the mayor of Murray County. Now he's headed to Washington. What did he say plans to do there? Yeah, well, after he got off the stage last night, he actually spoke to reporters and told them exactly what he plans to do. Polling across the country represents that what Americans are talking about are the economy, immigration, and crime. And so we're going to focus on those issues. Uh, the polling shows that those are nonpartisan issues. I mean, when you're paying more at the grocery store, when you're paying more at the pump, when you're worried about your kids going to school because it's not safe, when you're worried about kids ODing on fentanyl because it, it's not safe to be a kid anymore, uh, those are the things that we're going to focus on. And so whether or not they like Biden or not doesn't matter. What they're talking about is the economy, and that's what we're going to go fix. Well, I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out. Now, um, as Blaze just mentioned, Nashville was split into three districts, and Andy Ogles took District 5. Julia, who are the other two members of Congress who will be representing Nashville? Well, as we know nationally, it was a great night for incumbents, uh, and that's in Tennessee was no exception. So in District 6, which now includes East Nashville, Representative John Rose uh, was reelected to a second term there, beating Democrat Randall Cooper, um, notably... Uh, he used to be, or I think, well, yeah, yeah he used to be um, a Tennessee agricultural commissioner. 
Um, and many people are familiar with more unflattering details of his personal life because he uh, married a college undergrad uh, when he was 45 years old. So that is Representative John Rose. And in District 7, uh, which was, you know, a little more high profile, our incumbent Republican Mark Green there was reelected to a third term. Um, and he beat progressive Odessa Kelly, who had hoped to become the first um, openly gay black woman elected to Congress. But um, those were both easy victories. Um, and, and I think it's worth noting, you know, the the justification for dividing Davidson County was that Nashville would maybe have more representation in Washington with three Congress people. Mm-hmm. But none of these Congress people who were elected even campaigned in Davidson County this election cycle. They didn't debate their opponents and they didn't meet with voters in Nashville. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see um, some more grumbling about these results and what it means for Nashville uh, being represented in Congress. And so now this means Nashville's represented by people from Cookville, from Murray County and from Cheatham County, is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Just so like just not there. The, the constituent services are a big part of what people do in Congress. And Jim Cooper, who is our fifth district congressman, was known as someone who was very good at that. And it's, so it's like if you have a passport issue or you have other issue, like, are you going to call the guy in Cookville, the guy in Clarksville? You know, so there, there is, right. I think, um, some questions to be seen about how effective this will be as a long term strategy for the GOP. Well, let's talk about the amendments to the state constitution. There were four on this midterm ballot, and it was a sweep. Yes, for all of the amendments. Blaze, what will that mean? Well, Amendment 1 adds right to work to the state's constitution. That was one that had a lot of opposition to it, but it passed very favorably. And, I mean, probably because also Governor Bill Lee won by a large margin. He also supported Amendment 1. Amendment two adds a line of succession for if the governor wasn't able to to serve for some reason. And this isn't just Governor Billy. This just is added into our Constitution. Uh, so going forward, um, Amendment three removed slavery in prisons. And Amendment four removes a ban on ministers um, being lawmakers, which already um, both of those last two were sort of already covered. Um, but getting unenforced. It, you mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Unenforced. But um You know, actually getting it in our Constitution uh, means a lot. When it comes to the state legislature, those races were mostly that usual story of incumbents keeping their seats. But a few were pretty interesting, right? Yeah, I think the most competitive one um, that we were looking at was in Clarksville in Montgomery County. Um, And again, Republicans had done the redistricting process earlier in the year and they were trying to make that uh, a Republican pickup. Um, but it appears as of now, Democrat Ronnie Glynn has narrowly defeated Republican Tommy Vallejos which by just 150 votes. So and that, that, and yeah. that is a that is a race that we you know that the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition was very, very interested in and trying to have kind of a get out the vote campaign in. Yeah, I mean, there were really interesting candidates. Ronnie Glenn is a black retired army veteran and Tommy Vallejos, Republican a Latino retired army veteran. So um, I think it was a really interesting uh, case for the candidate diversity in that district and, and where that's headed. Um, the other one I, I think that we totally missed as a newsroom was in the Cumberland Plateau. There was an incumbent, John Mark Wendell, who had uh, stopped. Uh, he had changed his party affiliation from Democrat to independent, trying to like retain his seat. But uh, the Republican Party uh, picked him off and a Republican Ed Butler won that race. 
with just a thousand votes. And I, I understand there was a pretty competitive race that ended up won here in Nashville by Caleb Hemmer as well. Yeah. Republicans, again, wanted to pick that one up. Uh, it's the southern part of Davidson County in Antioch. Um, but uh, Caleb Hemmer had a uh, it was an open seat. And uh, but the Democrat had a, a pretty good fundraising advantage over his Republican opponent. And one of the the more unusual situations this time around is that the state's oldest serving legislator, a Democrat from Memphis named Barbara Cooper, just died. But her name was still on the ballot. And how did that race turn out, Julia? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't surprising. She did win uh, because ballots had already gone out when she passed away. So they couldn't, you know, uh, redo those ballots. But now a special election will be held to fill her seat, which is what happens under Tennessee law if a seat is vacated. Um, but I did want to note that, you know, she was the oldest serving lawmaker. But yesterday we also got our youngest incoming serving lawmaker, Justin Jones, a uh, community activist here in Nashville, will be uh, serving his first term in the House. He, re- he ran unopposed. Um, so it's kind of interesting to have from young to old. We had a, a good spread on the, on the on the ballot this year. So we we have mentioned redistricting multiple times and how that affected where the precincts uh, where the the districts lied, and that changed what precincts folks are in. So, and it also caused a lot of confusion. What kind of impact, Blaze, did that seem to have yesterday? Yeah, well. The biggest impact it had was I think people just got mixed around. They didn't look up their polling place before they left their house, possibly, or didn't get a mailer saying their polling place had changed. So when they went to the same place they went two years ago to vote or however long last time they voted, uh, they were rerouted and had to go somewhere else, which if you went at the last second, that would probably cause a problem. Um, And then you also have uh, the issue that happened, you know, I think earlier last week, when people were voting in the wrong district uh, because of a screw-up by the Davidson election officials, Um, something that they did blame redistricting for uh, because one uh, precinct had people coming in that were voting in, you know, different uh, congressional districts. And, yeah, so even the election commissions were a little bit confused on where people needed to be. Uh, So with all these factors, looking around the state, how was voter turnout? Very very poor. Crappy. Yeah. I <laughs> Can mean, I say that? I, I, I very think low. So. Very low. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it was very bad. Um, It went backwards. And usually, I mean, anytime anything goes backwards, it's not a good look. Yeah. Um, it was but, lower than the 2018. So we're looking at, like, you, you compare it to the last midterm election. Uh, and there were more people who voted in 2018 than, than this year, um, according to the Secretary of State's office. But I think that, you know, Lack of competitive races is one big reason. Yeah, I was going to say the same. Yeah. And um, and just, you know, people need a reason to go vote. And right now there's there there weren't any like top of the ballot, you know, like there's no presidential race. The governor's race, you know, we barely even knew that was going on because uh, Governor Lee didn't do a lot of campaigning. Um, so, there, yeah, there just wasn't a lot bringing people out, even though there is a nationwide sort of dissatisfaction with certain issues around the economy and abortion and things like that. So when we heard that from voters who did show up to the polls, that they were voting for reasons, um, but it just wasn't quite uh, as passionate as as previous election cycles. Well, Odessa Kelly did not win her her bid to go to Congress, but that campaign got national attention. She would have made history, as you said, as the first openly gay black congresswoman. Do you think this is the last we'll see of her? 
Definitely not. Um, she actually sent out a press release right after uh, when she conceded, saying uh, this journey has only just begun. So I'd, ex I'd plan on seeing her uh, run for office again, um, whether it's Congress or another avenue. Well, that was WPLM political reporter Blaze Ganey and editor Julia Ritchie. I know you were both here very late last night. Thanks to you both for being here and for all of your hard work covering this election. Thanks, Dina. Thanks. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll explore the religious and cultural influence of Judaism here in Nashville. Are you a practicing Jew? What do you want people to know about your community? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Nina Cardona, and this is Nashville. We live in what is often described as the buckle of the Bible belt, but the Bible isn't the only book in town. And while we are a supermajority Christian city, the Jewish community here has a long history and a wide ranging influence on Nashville's cultural life. If you're part of the approximately 98% of Nashvilleians who do not identify as Jewish, it's possible that you've never been to a Jewish temple or a synagogue. These are places of worship, but some are also places of learning. 40 years ago, ethnographers from the American Folklife Center visited Nashville's West End Synagogue. They made a series of recordings there, which are now housed at the Library of Congress. One is from an elementary school class at West End. Let's listen to a little bit of that as students, pra as students practice their daily bracha or blessing. Let's say the sing the bracha that we sing at the beginning of every class. Ready? We'll be discussing today, Judaism isn't only about attending synagogue. Today, we're exploring what expressions of Jewish faith look like inside and outside of religious institutions here in Nashville. I'd like to welcome our first guest, Rabbi Saul Strasberg from Congregation Sheriff Israel and Eric Mirowitz, co-founder of the Jewish community group Eastside Tribe. Welcome both of you to Thank This you. Is Nashville. Thanks. Rabbi Saul, I'd like to start with you. Can you give me a sense of how the first Jewish residents got started here in Nashville? I think the first uh, wave of immigrants came in the mid-1800s from, from Russia. They were coming for more opportunity. Europe was not a great place for the Jewish uh, people. Name the century was not a great place. Uh, the Russians came in the mid-1800s and um, set up community, uh, set up businesses, began to assimilate uh, into Nashville culture, uh, built, built the temple, uh, followed by immigrants from Poland and Hungary. And those first generations worked really hard, uh, scrimped and saved, lived frugally so that they could afford educational opportunities for the next generation. And so the next generation wouldn't have to work hard to earn a buck, but really to find their place in society and educate and build families. And I think that 
Um, since the 1840s, 1850s, the communities have done really well. Um, the Russians, of course, were the first to assimilate, um, built built wealth in, in a place in society the quickest, and they evolved into the temple that we have, uh, Ohabai Shalom in Belmid. Uh, my synagogue were the Hungarian Jews who came the last. They were the poorest. They evolved into the Orthodox old school uh, branch, which became shared with Israel. And the Polish community um, evolved into the conservative synagogue and West End synagogue. So how have these evolved over time? You say these communities, they're, they're all still here. There's still these direct root uh, traces back to those in, initial waves of immigration how they've evolved. We have a few families who are still in town um, who remember their grandparents telling them what it was like, you know, in the early 1900s. Um, we have we have the children and grandchildren, great grandchildren of founders of many of the synagogues are still here. Um, some have family businesses in town. Others just feel very rooted to Nashville, very well connected. This is their home. They love Nashville. Um, but most people have moved here since then and have made Nashville their home and have found um, their place in one of the synagogues or one of the communities and just love love what Nashville's like. Now, you are the rabbi at Sheriff Israel, which is an Orthodox synagogue. For people who may not be familiar, can you explain how that's different from the other denominations? Sure. So, you know, historically, the reform movement was, um, you know, when in, in late 1700s Europe, when Jews were emancipated and enlightenment was happening, uh, many Jews wanted to modernize the faith. Um, Jews were free to look at the world and trust the world for the first time in hundreds of years. And that was Reformed Judaism. And Orthodoxy was really much um, a reaction, a response to that. So whereas Reformed said, let's modernize, let's liberate, let's evolve. Orthodoxy said, no, no, we want to be stuck exactly the way we always were. That's Orthodoxy today. Most Orthodox Jews, particularly in Nashville, are more modern Orthodox, but they try to hold steadfast to the commandments and the Torah. Um, there's, uh, you know, separate roles that women and men have. Um, what I like to say is that the more progressive movements fixed the religion and orthodoxy is struggling with what, what has always been. And, and in exchange for that, tradition has an equal seat at the table and we get to hold on to the roots um, as strong as they are. Now, Eric, I understand that when you first moved to Nashville, you noticed something about the geography mm. of the Jewish community here. What did you notice? Yeah, so um, all of the institutions and in the, the five synagogues that are here in Nashville are all on the west side of town, west of downtown. and A lot of them on West End. <laughs> they are basically lined up in a row from most to least observant, and you can drive <laughs> down the road and check them off. Um, and uh, at first, that was like actually really helpful and convenient for a new person to town. It wasn't like moving to L.A. or New York where you're overwhelmed with, like, there's a thousand synagogues, there's a million different things. It felt very approachable, and uh, everyone that I met at those synagogues and through the Federation as well. Um, you know, it really felt like a small town vibe. Everyone was very welcoming and there was a lot of collaboration, a lot of partnership that I could see. Um, but it was all very geographically, you know, isolated. Um, and I moved here and found my place in East Nashville. And I was moving from Los Angeles where I was very involved in Jewish community. And it was difficult, not impossible. In LA, the traffic is really something to behold and here it's not quite so bad but it's still a solid you know 35 45 minute drive to get out to the JCC um, and that that was just a big barrier big psychological barrier and a physical barrier to to real engagement and especially feeling like the people who are living in that area who can more easily access those those locations and those activities they are 
more regularly building stronger relationships and bonds with those institutions and with each other. And when you're a less frequent, you know, participator or visitor, it's a lot harder to, to like get really connected. It's easy to get introduced, but harder to get connected. So what did you do then? Well, uh, I was not the only person who was kind of feeling this way and wanted to be more engaged with Jewish life and, um, wanted to be, but like sort of part of my actual neighborhood and my community, the people who I lived near. And so a few of us, uh, started this group called Eastside Tribe. Um, I should also mention there was already kind of a, a collective of East Nashville Jews that were getting together twice a year, uh, really catalyzed by um, the amazing Einstein's Ellen and, and Dan of Blessed Memory from, from Sweet 16th. They had been organizing these big Yom Kippur breakfast events and Hanukkah party. And, uh, you know, when we discovered that and got into that group, we saw how much energy there was and how many Jews there were in East Nashville. Um, but we were looking for more. And so we decided to try and fill in the gaps by doing monthly Shabbat dinners. And then that led to people reaching out and saying, hey, I also am interested in doing Torah study. Can you help me start something? And, you know, it kind of just snowballed with a lot of engagement from the community and also are sort of trying to realize a vision for a Jewish life that that we wanted. And the we in this is also me and my, my wife, Hillary, who is not Jewish. And so the interfaith uh, family aspect of what we were doing and what we were building was also really important to us. So what does worship look like for you in, in the Eastside tribe? Yeah, I mean, right now we don't have any real formal services. Um, we do say the brachot that we, <laughs> some of that we heard in the recording earlier um, at our Shabbat dinners and at our Hanukkah party that we do as well. We we say the Hanukkah blessings, but uh, nothing compared to what Rabbi Saul is is doing every day in terms of actually davening and, and saying the prayers and providing that real ritual leadership. Um, it's something that we get asked a lot, like, when are you guys going to start a synagogue or is what you're doing going to become a synagogue? Um, I don't, I don't see it that way personally, but if, you know, it's what the community needs, I'm me and, and Eastside Tribe as an organization, we're just trying to make sure that Jews who live in East Nashville can be engaged with Jewish life and, and Jewish ritual and spirituality and culture uh, in the ways that are meaningful and create, you know, impact and purpose in their lives. So um, I'm always open to to anything, but uh, right now it's mostly cultural and um, and social. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona. We're talking this hour about Judaism as it's practiced here in Nashville with Rabbi Saul Strasberg of Congregation Sheriff Israel and Eric Mirowitz of Eastside Tribe. Now, Rabbi Saul, your congregation has an interesting idea posted on your website. There's something you call the flavor of orthodoxy unique to Nashville. What makes it unique to our city? Uh, great question. I'll give you my top three answers. I'll try. Right. Um, orthodoxy has really sort of um, exploded in the past several decades um, because of a lot of in-marriage, strong education, lots of children per family, many orthodox um, synagogues, schools, and camps are bursting at the seams. At least that's the story in larger cities. In smaller cities, it tends to be the opposite. Um, it's hard to live an orthodox life, per se, in Nashville, Tennessee, um, not just because 98.5% of the populations follow you know, Christians, but even most of the Jewish community is not orthodox. It's a, it's a harder way of life. Um, 
you know, there's eating restrictions and how, how Shabbat is celebrated and all the sports events happen on, you know, Shabbat. So I would say it's a certain level of openness and inclusion that you probably wouldn't find in many other Orthodox communities. But finally, uh, the natural hospitality is a big part of just being really welcoming and open, non-judgmental and caring. And uh, anybody who walks in the door, regardless of faith or background, uh, is, is warmly welcomed and appreciated. Well, Eric, what's your been experience? What, what sets Judaism in Nashville apart? Um, I think everything that Saul said is, is true to my experience. Um, very welcoming, very inclusive, um, and in, in many ways also very progressive. Uh, I, one thing that I like about it is that it's, it is small and there's opportunity to, to do things that are new and that are innovative and there's not uh, as much weight of entrenchment as you might see in some of the larger Jewish communities around the country, like L.A., New York, um, and even Atlanta in the South. Uh, it, it seems like it's very, uh, it's very energetic and it's growing and it's changing, uh, like the rest of Nashville, um, Jewish community, I think really reflects that. Um, and that's just exciting to be a part of, to be, to be innovating and to be trying new things and for that to be cool and, and to be supported. You know, the, the Federation here, uh, is particularly enthusiastic about what we're doing in East Nashville. They very much recognize that there is a, a contingency out there that's, difficult to serve because of the geography. And when we put our hand up and said, you know, Hey, we're, this is important to us. We want to, we want to build something. They, they really backed us. And, um, I don't think that all federations in all major cities would have been as supportive. So it's, it's actually really, really cool. A few months ago, anti-Semitic flyers showed up in a few dozen driveways in West Nashville. How did that affect your community? Um, it's a great question. And there was a piece in the Nashville scene after that time, basically highlighting how much anti-Semitism Nashville has absorbed in the past decades. You know, in a sense, Jews are attuned to it. My synagogue has, you know, armed guards and security measures nobody knows about just because synagogues are target. They've been targets for a long time. So um, on the one hand, we're used to it. On the other hand, it's just become so much more overt in the past years. Um, at uh, university campuses nearby and, and houses of worship and neighborhoods. And it's disappointing to see that's where our society is going. On the flip side, um, you also hear the reaction of neighbors who will not tolerate it. And, and signs popped up in, uh, in the Richland neighborhood and other neighborhoods that we support our Jewish neighbors. And we realize just what, what kind of community we have. And that's, it's those reminders that make, you know, make everything worth it. Eric, I wonder, you know, I know that the, the organized synagogues with buildings have had a long history of the security measures kind of mm. baked in to the way that everything is handled with the way that you guys are more kind of meeting in people's homes. Are, are there any security measures that you guys have been thinking about? Yeah, definitely something that I think about. Um, that's one of the benefits, I guess, of being outside of the, the sort of core Jewish community is that we're not as targeted. We don't feel as threatened. Um, but it is always something that's in the back of our minds. And when we have larger events, especially, um, you know, I have a contact at the Nashville PD who I can inform like, Hey, we're having a big mm -hmm. event. And if you can have someone stationed or swing by every once in a while, um, you know, that, that can help. Uh, I also have the business card of a security company that I could call to get someone stationed if I felt like it was necessary, like if there was a heightened threat environment and we were going to have a big event and it was publicized, you know, and those factors were all at play. Um, I definitely do think about it, but yeah, not at the level of, of an institution that has like a physical targetable 
space. What does the status of the Jewish community here say about our city? What, what do you think, Eric? What does the status of the Jewish community say about the city? Yeah. Uh, With regards to the threats, you think? Or? Uh, no, I, the, the livelihood of the, of the Jewish community, the, the, the small and interconnected nature, the, the things that yeah. you were talking about, the, the welcoming, the, the, the character of the Jewish community here. Sure. What does that say about Nashville? Yeah, yeah. What I hope it says is that Nashville is a great place to move and, and live and to raise a family um, and that you can find your people and your opportunities here, um, just like in a big city, uh, kind of also with the job market, right? It used to be that you had to live on the coasts to do things that were really cool and innovative and, and that's changing in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's nice to have, to have options and to, to know that this is a welcoming place. Rabbi, so I'm wondering the same thing for you. What, what do you think, what's reflected of Nashville? I think, I think the Jewish community should feel very good about where it's been, where it is, where it's headed. Um, and, and it's a, it's a reflection of the Nashville community. Jews, um, are part of every fabric of society here. Um, you know, from medicine to, to Christian radio music, as, as ironic as it sounds, uh, we've been here for a while. Um, the lessons are, you know, you don't have to be a majority to have an impact. Mm. Um, if you're in a welcoming place, you're welcome. And, and like Eric alluded to earlier that the Jewish community is really, um, adaptable, ready to keep up with the times. It's ne- it was never an old guard, but really let's, let's, let's be reactive and responsive and, and catering to the people who are here now. And I think that served us really well. I think that's a strong statement to what you think about, you know, the community and what you want people to know about it. Eric, what do you want people to know about the Jewish community here? Um, in East Nashville specifically, I want people to know that there is stuff going on and that they can they can reach out to us and find us. EastsideTribe.org uh, is a great place to join our mailing list and, and see what kind of events we have coming up and how they can get involved. Um, and also there's a lot of opportunity to to do things that that you think are cool that aren't there now, that it's, there's a, it's very entrepreneurial environment, or at least that's what we're trying to, to create, to get people to, to put their hand up and say, Hey, I think this is cool. I would like to do this. Let's try it. Um, and, uh, I think there's, there's a big movement of what I might call DIY Judaism, um, which is, I think really cool and interesting and exciting. And, and like Rabbi Saul was saying, like Judaism has a long history of being very adaptable through lots of, of challenges and hardships and a changing environment, changing culture. And Judaism has this sort of inherent, uh, continuous reflection and, and iteration and experimentation, like deep in the bones. Um, and, uh, there's, this is an exciting, an exciting wave of that. And we're, we're doing it here. Well, that is Eric Mirowitz, co-founder of the community group Eastside Tribe. He was joined by Rabbi Saul Strasberg from Congregation Sheriff Israel. Thank you both for being here today. A pleasure. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our exploration of Jewish culture in Nashville. What does being Jewish in Nashville look like for you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. 
typical Saturday at Sweet 16th Bakery in East Nashville is a busy one, but this particular Saturday in late October is especially so. That's because it's the last day in business for the beloved bakery. It's been around 18 years and it's one of the few Jewish owned businesses in town. Sweet 16th is famous for its breakfast sandwich, a thick square of cheesy egg casserole tucked inside a piping hot scone. Sisters Elizabeth and Emily Hale are at the very front of the line today. They've been here since 4.15. We stood in line for two and a half hours last Saturday and we missed the breakfast sandwich by like minutes. So we didn't want to miss it. Uh, we've been coming for about 10 years. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's just been a huge part of our life. Same, it's the only place you can come to where the person behind the counter is gonna know your name, ask how your day is, actually care how you're doing and know what you wanna order. Nowhere else in the whole city is like that. Ellen and Dan Einstein ran the Sweet 16th together until Dan passed away in January. Ellen reopened earlier this year with limited hours, but in October, she announced she would be closing the bakery for good. Every morning since, the line outside has gotten steadily longer. Benjamin Sawyer is here with his wife, Kelly, and their eight-year-old son, Solomon. The father and son have a tradition. Order some food, then sit on the tailgate of Benjamin's pickup truck and count cars as they drive by. Solomon loves the blueberry muffins. Uh, I always joke that like he is about 20% sweet 16th because we ate here all the time. So, you know, it's, it, this is his, their legacy. Yeah, I mean, it was half half the food and half Dan and Ellen. Yeah. I mean, they were such an important part of the community. If you needed, like, a plumber or you, like, needed someone to fix something, you just came and asked Ellen, <laughs> who do you know? And she'd write down a phone number on a piece of paper. It was like, yeah, I mean, it was like a community hub. I made friends here. They serve this community. I mean, they built this place before East Nashville is what it is now. I mean, like, in a way, this is, like, the this is the middle of the hub, right? I mean, in a place like this, so... When they leave, you're just grateful that you ever had them. Inside the bakery, the staff prepare for their final service. 8 a.m. rolls around, and it's time to open. All right, I'm going to run outside real quick and just kind of welcome everybody. It's Ellen! Thank you, thank you, thank you for all coming. It, it, it is very overwhelming and I just, I can't even believe this is happening. And I, it's hard for me to believe that I'm closing this place after 18 and a half years. It's just been really difficult without having Dan around. And um, I hope everybody understands I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in the neighborhood. I Making a cookbook. Oh. I'm sorry. It's just not happen. I'm sorry. But I love you guys for supporting me and for being here and giving me great memories of Sweet 16. And Dan, I'm sure, is looking down upon us right now and just hopefully smiling and very happy to see this. Okay? We love you. We love you.
Here in Nashville, Jewish culture can mean many things. As we just heard, it can mean delicious baked goods that anchor a neighborhood and build community. It can also mean going to local festivals or even attending book club meetings. To learn more about how Judaism enriches the cultural life of Nashville beyond the temple, I'd like to welcome my next guests. Matt Leff is an organizer with the Jewish Arts and Musical Festival. Leslie M. Sachs is executive director of the Gordon Jewish Community Center, and Jackie Carr is co-director of the Nashville Jewish Film Festival. Thanks to you all for being here, and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. you. Now, Jackie, the Jewish Film Festival just wrapped up a few days ago. How'd it go? Uh, Well, we thought it went great. Um, As everyone knows, we had to kind of shift gears like everyone in 2020 and go all virtual. And that was uh, quite a step from us. Um, And then in 2021, we were going to do a hybrid. And just before that, um, the Omicron variant came in. And so we had to go all virtual and programs were printed. This year, we were thrilled that we got to do a hybrid. We had nine in-person screenings between um, different venues, uh, the Jewish Community Center, um, the AMC in Bellevue, and then our historic uh, Belcourt Theater. And um, then, of course, we had six virtuals, so we got to be in people's living rooms. And it was really great because I think we gained some people to learn about us over the virtual efforts in the last two years. And um, it turned out really well. Now, and that's hard to pick just one, but did, did you have a favorite oh, this year? You know, I know everybody always says, what's your favorite? And, and I always kind of say, well, it's, it's kind of like that perfect fruit basket. We try to have a variety of films. And um, some films are um, include a speaker and after, which makes it feel more like a festival. Some of our films, you know, are comedies and it doesn't really call for a talk back. But um, you could see all the films and never feel like you repeated it. And um, but you may not like apples. And so not even the best apples can appeal to you. So I can't pick a favorite. Um, you know, some were really fun and that's entertaining and some were really endearing. And um, so many of them talk about. Um, you know, I, I refrain from the Jewish part of it, but, but it would be uh, situations in Poland or um, in uh, the Wild West. Um, who, who knew that Wyatt Earp was married to a Jew? I mean, these films are not just for Jewish people to watch. So I can't pick one. I can't answer that with one thing. All I can say is that um, on our website, we have trailers. And I just say to people, look, I don't know what you're into. And, you know, a lot of our films have subtitles. Some people don't like that. I love it. I don't have trouble understanding, but I can't pick. So watch the trailers. And if it interests you enough with the trailer, then you'll probably like the film. Now, how long have you been doing this festival? Oh, gosh, I've been involved for 22 years. This was our 22nd year. How did it get a start? Um, Well, it started originally as the 150th anniversary of the Nashville Jewish Temple Oabai Shalom, the Reformed Congregation on Harding Road. And uh, Kathy Guto, who was an extreme film buff, and Lori Eskin were asked to put together a film festival, if you will, for that event. And they asked me to coordinate the dinner, which I did with um, Suzanne Schulman. And it was such a hit and I will say Laurie and Kathy were the type that even on days where we didn't have films, they were still at the theater because they did that. And so then um, a few years later, um, you know, I continued each year and helping in some form or fashion. And a few years later, Kathy got a brain tumor and was unable to really assist Laurie. So she came back to me and Loretta Sapp, who had been handling our PR, and said, would you 
help me and we can do this together. And we continued. And so here we are 22 years later. And when Kathy passed, we added the student film competition um, that was for any aspiring filmmaker, whether they be in high school or graduate school, it did not matter if it had been done as part of a school project within two years. And uh, we have all the info on our website. We would screen the films, pick a winner and um, show it at our festival. We showed this year's winner on the final night, and that person receives um, a $1,000 prize and also gets the benefit of putting it on their resume, which is wonderful, and gets to be screened at the Nashville Film Festival the following year because they have been cooperative with us as well. So, Leslie, the Nashville Jewish Film Festival, which Jackie co-directs, is a program of the Gordon Jewish Community Center, where you are the executive director. How does this film festival fit into your mission? I think part of our mission is just to build community. And community comes in different forms, whether it's people who love film or people who love food or people who love music. So we love to support the film festival. And I learn something every year I go from the films that I thought I knew things and I don't. So I think they're educational as well. Um, So it's just a wonderful event and a wonderful series of movies. Well, you sort of touch on it, but what other kinds of programs does the JCC get involved in? So we are in many ways like a big YMCA that runs a child care program and a fitness center and an outdoor pool and all those, a summer camp, which are all wonderful. But we also do several community-wide programs. We have a book series that meets throughout town that's starting soon. Um, we do a program called Under One Roof, where we invited 36 agencies to paint a panel for our sukkah for Sukkot around the theme of community. We have the Nashville Kosher Hot Kosher Nashville Hot Chicken Festival, and this year we added the Jam Festival, which... Um, Matt will talk about, we do a Jewish food festival in the spring on a different theme every year. Um, and then we do, do a big Hanukkah fest for set, where we make latkes for three or 400 people and have a big festival in, around Hanukkah too. So we try to be someone who, a place that anyone can come, whether they're members of the JCC or not, that we can create community, invite people into our community. And we try to cre- reduce barriers to entry. So that people learn about us and are just welcome to come and join. And I think as Nashville grows, that's become even more important. We hear people all the time that have never found the Jewish community here in Nashville because they may live further out. And so these big events allow us to create and draw in that community. How long has the JCC been around? It's been around since um, 1902, so 120 years. Um, You know, you mentioned festivals, you mentioned jam. So Matt, Tell me about the Jewish Arts and Music Festival that you organized. Sure. So it it was two events in one. Uh, as Leslie mentioned, the Kosher Nashville Hot Chicken Festival, this was actually the seventh year uh, that it's been going on. Uh, and a couple members of the community had reached out and said, hey, we really want to get this Jewish music festival going, incorporate Jewish and non-Jewish artists. Um, and I kind of had the bright idea of fusing these two events together um, to be on the same day in the same location the Hot Chicken Fest had traditionally brought in about four to 600 guests. So I kind of figured, hey, how do we take this to the next level? And that's by increasing what people can experience. Um, and it's something that I do full time. So to be able to now fuse sort of my connection to the community, the Jewish community with my daily business was really great to do that. And uh, my company did that completely for free for our community. And it just was such an amazing day. Um, we had about a thousand people that came collectively for the two events. And they did go on, as I said, at the same time. And one of the big things that 
the group that was behind this really wanted was that you didn't have you don't have to be Jewish to come to this. First of all, you don't have to be kosher to eat this kosher food. Um, it's exciting for people who keep kosher to have this because where else are you going to get to eat kosher Hattie B's? Yeah, only yeah. at this event. Um, and then on the music side, we were able to bring in artists from L.A., New York, uh, some that live here, some that traveled. Uh, Alicia Hoffman performed, who plays with. Um, um, not Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Okay. Um, so we were kind of like calling on the Jewish artists in our community who maybe aren't connected to just be like, hey, you're a, you're a musician and we're doing a music fest that happens to be Jewish. You don't have to have Jewish music. Um, so it was really great to kind of fuse all of that together. And it was an amazing day. It was like this just this past Sunday. Now, I mean, there is a huge Christian music industry here in Nashville. That's pretty hard to miss. Sure. What's it like then being able to find and connect with Jewish musicians here? Well, I, I think there is a long history of Jewish music professionals in Nashville that have, say, moved from L.A. or New York to Nashville because we've really become that sort of recording hub now. Um, so I, I think we've always been around maybe more in different roles. Uh, but it, it is great to know that there are such there's such talent in the community that happens to be Jewish. They may not be active in the Jewish community. But if we call them and say, hey, we're doing this and it's really cool and we want you there, that they're going to show up. And, and how, did, how, how are folks finding each other? I mean, is there like this the thing where you're, hey, by the way, did you know someone is Jewish? I'll give you a quick story. I was at the Purim Carnival at the temple on Harding a couple of years ago, and I kind of had a double take and Bella Fleck was standing in front of me. Um, and I presume he is a Jew. And <laughs> there he was, you know, with his family enjoying the uh, the Purim Carnival. So I, I think there is that. I knew he's Hungarian. I hadn't thought about Jewish, there too. There you go. All right. Maybe it's uh, Bella Flexstein <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, but it was. It's. I, I think, you know, I grew up in New York where you didn't have to try to be Jewish. It was just natural. Mm -hmm. Like, Jews were everywhere. Um, and in Nashville, because it is such a small, tight-knit community, if you want to be part of it, if you want to find that connection, sometimes you have to kind of put your hand out. Um, but you're embraced, regardless of how Jewish you are or not. And I think that's something that's very unique. I've lived here for 12 years. I know, Jackie, you've been here a long time. Is that my perception or am I right? Well, well, I think you are. You definitely have to do some reaching out to here, but everybody is very welcoming. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I think I'm, a you know, you know, one of the rare OGs here. <laughs> and um, but, yeah, you know, we have so many people moving to Nashville now and they and actually usually the first reaction is they're they're Jews there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And we, we wear shoes, too. <laughs> um, but I do take people up at the JCC Sometimes. to the uh, Holocaust Memorial where we have those granite pillars of markings from all the different countries that mm -hmm. they're um their their family live here in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm. And I think that's a very quick way to show somebody, you know, as a realtor, when they come into Nashville from New York, L.A., whatever, it's like, are there Jews? And I go to the J and I take them up into that little beautiful pathway that they've created there, uh, the Holocaust Memorial, and say, look at all the people that have landed here in Nashville. And they're in shock. Yeah. So you're talking about how you kind of let people know that as they're moving in here that there is that Jewish community here. But as you said, you've been here pretty much all of your life, Jackie. Um, what was it like for you growing up Jewish in Nashville? Oh, wow. It's it's changed so much. I mean, I remember, and, and, and my Christian friends don't, can't even believe this, but 
people rolling pennies down the hall in elementary school. Mm. Um, you know, it was um, my mother was born and raised in Manhattan, New York City. So, uh, you know, like Matt said, you know, it was everybody was Jewish, even if they weren't Jewish. So it was very, you know, schools closed up there for the Jewish, you know, the high holidays. Um, not here. We had to make exception and, you know, all of that. So it I mean, was how many classmates did you have who were? Jewish. Jewish yeah. uh, well, you know, my Sunday school friends, you know, because we all attended public school for mm-hmm. the most part, you know, in elementary school anyway. And, you know, I had friends, neighbors that would want me to come to their church and talk about a Jewish holiday. But they, you know, they just really didn't know or understand. And, um, you know, I mean, just the whole Christmas and Hanukkah, things are much um, more balanced now. I mean, I know... Um, I went to a, a private school here um, in the seventh and eighth grade, and um, at that time, um, there was three Jewish girls in that school, grades five through twelve, and that's very different now. That must have been a lonely feeling at times. Well, it was just um, you just kind of blended. I mean, you they had they would do a, a, a like a chapel service uh, on one day a week and you know things were just different but you know it's it's not that way now i mean i think there's way more embracement of um others and differences and community and um uh, with our with our film festival even it, it's always been our hope that we could get more non-jews to come in and see the films because there we we don't focus on religious films necessarily you know vanderbilt does a wonderful job with their their holocaust series and i think it goes by a different name now so you're building that bridge we exactly it's yeah. a community and a bridge and a conversation Well, we've talked to Leslie M. Sachs today, executive director of the Gordon Jewish Community Center, joined by Jackie Carr, co-director of the Nashville Jewish Film Festival, and Matt Leff, organizer of the Jewish Arts and Music Festival. Thanks to you all for being here. Really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks. Thank you so much. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow we talk with retired Congressman Jim Cooper about his career, the state of our politics, and what he sees for the future of Nashville. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Ellen Einstein. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.